This week on the podcast, I'm going to share the number one lesson that I have learned over this last year. I just recently celebrated my 39th birthday, and I have been reflecting on lessons learned, and this one in particular has been the biggest. Self-compassion. Learning really how to love myself and be kind to myself when I'm facing hardship or when I fail or when I'm feeling inadequate. This one has been a game changer for me, and I'm going to share all about how do you end all of the negative chatter in your brain and develop your own self-compassion practice. You ready? Let's get to it. Welcome to the Ambitious and Balanced Working Mom Podcast, the place for women who want to balance their ambitious career goals with their life as a mom. If you're looking to feel more confident, decisive, and productive at both work and home, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Rebecca Olson. Let's get to it. I'm recording this podcast just a couple of days after my birthday, and every year I take some time to really reflect on the past year and the various things that I learned, you know, the highlights, the overall themes, and then I like to even make some predictions on what I think the year ahead might look like. And this year, I got to do that while being completely unplugged in the middle of the Sierra Nevadas, sitting inches from a river under a blanket with a warm cup of tea and my amazing and wonderful husband who was sitting next to me. Now, this past year, as I am sure it has been for almost everyone, has a slight caveat to it, and that is that it's been a full year of COVID. And it has also included things like a lack of childcare, very little travel, seeing little to no family for over a year, not being able to eat out, not being able to go places. There was just this daily grind of what was my 38th year of life. But even so, there was a lot to be gained from this past year. I started this podcast, which was a dream of mine for the past three years. I created the Ambitious and Balanced Working Moms Collective, which I am overwhelmingly proud of. And not just the fact that I created it and put so much work into it, creating the content and the videos and the workbooks and everything that I had to do to get the program up and running. I mean, all of that is amazing, and I'm very proud of that. But more than that, I'm proud of the lives that I'm changing, the women that are in the program and the lives of the women that I will be changing in the future who join the program. Another big accomplishment from this year was just how my immediate family really came together. My husband, my six-year-old daughter, my four-year-old son, and me, we were just really together for a really long period of time, many, many, many months. And my kids really didn't have anyone else to play with but each other. And I didn't really see many other adults except for my husband. And I really look back fondly at some of those memories and experiences that we created during the past year, even during COVID. But really, my 38th year was an internal journey. I learned resiliency. You know, as COVID dragged on and on and on, I learned that I can really operate with a lot less personal space, less variety, less time with friends. I have an ability to keep moving forward despite hardship that this past year really taught me. But probably the biggest lesson of this past year and where I'm going to focus the rest of this podcast today 
is how I learned self-compassion. I learned to treat myself with kindness in the midst of hardship, like COVID or failure when I didn't meet my goals or inadequacy when it felt like I couldn't say enough or be enough or do enough to make me and my kids or my husband happy. Self-compassion is extending kindness to yourself in times of inadequacy, failure, and hardship. That's really what it means. But I think to really understand self-compassion, it's easiest to think about compassion for others. So let's start there. I want you to really think about what it means to show compassion to a friend who just lost their job. You probably had a few of these even during COVID. How did you treat them? What did you do for them? What words did you use to console them? What emotions came out of you to help them? Compassion starts with this desire or this pull to help someone. It's a desire to lessen their burden. A lot of times, the goal when we're extending compassion to someone is to just simply understand and listen to where they're at, to help them to know that they're not alone. That what they're experiencing is normal and okay. It's hard to lose a job. Sometimes compassion leads us to help them try to fix their problems, to help them find that new job or process through that failure. But really at the core of compassion, it's not about fixing. It's just simply about being. Your friend who lost their job, they just simply want to know that they're still loved, that they still have value, that they're going to get through this. And they want to experience all of that without any judgment. Self-compassion looks virtually the same. Let's think of like a really simple example. And the one that comes to mind is, you know, what every mother can relate to, which is yelling at your kids. Or if it's not yelling specifically, it's like getting over exacerbated or frustrated or angry in some way, right? We've all experienced that as a mom. We've all been there. We've all done that. We've all walked away feeling those terrible feelings that we experience when we are kind of interacting with our kids in a way we don't want to. Self-compassion in a moment like this, in a moment where you failed on some level as a parent. Now, just as an aside, I don't really believe that yelling at your kids means you're a terrible parent or that you are failing in any way But what I mean when I say failing is that you are exerting behavior that you wish that you weren't exerting as a parent, that you weren't handling situation in the way that you wish to handle it. You probably would rather figure out how to handle a situation remaining calm. So that's kind of what I mean by failure. It's not that you as a person have failed, but you didn't get to the desired result by yelling, right? Okay, so self-compassion in a moment like this where you have failed to remain calm and when you're feeling very inadequate as a parent, self-compassion looks like understanding that you're not perfect and that yelling happens at times and that you're not a terrible parent because of it. And it looks like telling yourself that you are loved, that you love your kids. It looks like allowing yourself to cry at how frustrating it is to be a parent and reminding yourself that you're not always going to get it right. Just like with a friend who loses their job, the goal is to listen and love yourself without any kind of judgment. Now, this past year was a year of really learning how to do that. Because what I used to do instead, and I know this is very common 
among women, I spent a lot of time beating myself up, judging myself for being a terrible parent, that I don't know what I'm doing, that I'm messing up my kid. I think about the incident over and over and over again, almost like I was reliving it. I would cry. I would be emotionally drained. I'd have a hard time focusing at work or at home. I just Sometimes I would just simply retreat inside of myself and go silent. Or sometimes I would retreat into my to-do list and just like do as many things as possible on it to, to kind of push through. And oftentimes I would spend a lot of time comparing myself, kind of assuming other people were better than me, that I was kind of doing this whole parenting thing wrong, that I was never going to figure this out. I call this the judgment cycle. And I call it that because at the heart of it, what you're doing is you're taking your hardship or your failure and you're judging yourself because of it. You're judging yourself as being inadequate, being not good enough, as if the hardship or the failure is kind of a comment on you as a human, right? As a person. You're in this judgment cycle. And really quickly, I want to help you identify when you're in a judgment cycle and what it looks like or what I have found it looks like for me and a lot of the women I work with, it looks like like endless chatter in your brain, like an inability to let go or stop replaying situations or conversations or moments in your head, right? It looks like having a hard time being present and focused what you're doing because your brain is over here reliving the past or thinking about whatever's going on or ruminating on something. It looks like a lot of comparison. It looks like doing a lot of things in order to try to make up for feeling inadequate. It looks like not experiencing a lot of highs because you're always kind of cutting yourself down and making yourself feel bad. So it's like not allowing yourself to really experience the peak of happiness and joy. It looks like feeling a lot of guilt. It looks like taking on too much of the blame as if it's all of your fault. And and taking too much ownership over what's going wrong. Or another sign or the last sign I have here for you that you're really in this judgment cycle is when like one thing goes wrong and then you just blow that up to like everything's gone wrong. So, you know, I had this one moment with my son this morning and I got really frustrated and then it was like, oh my gosh, the whole morning is ruined, right? Oh my gosh, we're so behind. I'm never going to get back on track, right? We blow things up and make everything be horrible when one thing is horrible. So that's the judgment cycle. And it's the cycle that I have been working to end through self-compassion. But there is a second cycle that some women get into. And a lot of times we actually oscillate between these two cycles. We're kind of in the self-judgment cycle in our heads with the endless chatter. And then we move into the ignore cycle, which is like the, I don't really want to deal with this. And so you just push through and you ignore the hardship and the failure and the moments of inadequacy and so forth, rather than actually deal with them. So what this looks like, you know, where the judgment cycle is kind of full of emotions, the ignoring cycle is almost like being numb to them. I had a client who really defaulted to the ignore cycle. She was somebody that was working 60 plus hours a week. She was self-sacrificing for everybody else. And, and in our first call, she told me that the problem really wasn't her. It was the company. The company was overworking her, was demanding too much from her. And when I asked her, you know, what part she played in the overworking and the 60 hours a week, she was like, you know, none. It's, it's pretty much their fault. <laughs> she denied 
at all that she had some kind of agency or ownership over the time that she worked and the amount that she worked and the the saying yes to the kinds of projects and so forth. She didn't want to admit or kind of face up to the overworking tendencies that she had. She didn't really want to face her own failures and, and admit to herself what was kind of contributing to her own imbalance. And I see this with a lot of women who kind of default into the ignore cycle, what they tend to do is they tend to blame their circumstances for their issues, right? It's the company, it's their husband, it's a lack of income, like there's no childcare, there's no time. You know, these are the causes of the failure. The circumstances are the causes of the failure or the hardship or the inadequacy, not me. And if you are giving yourself self-compassion instead of kind of ignoring and blaming what it would sound like is, wow, there is way too much work to do and not enough time. And that really sucks. I don't want to have to disappoint anybody. I worry what they think. I feel a lot of pressure. I feel a lot of stress to say yes and do more. This is really hard. I have to make some really hard decisions right now and people are going to be disappointed. There'd probably be a lot of good deep breaths, maybe even a few tears through that. And then probably a decision about what you were going to do about it from there, right? But self-compassion is that place of acceptance and love of whatever it is you're thinking and feeling rather than just ignoring and saying yes and not admitting that you're having a hard time or that this is a really terrible, sucky situation and, and that it feels bad. You know, self-compassion is really just a lot of honesty. There's a lot of acknowledging of what you're actually feeling and thinking and just being okay with it, right? It's extending kindness to yourself, being gentle instead of harsh. So here's a couple of signs that you might be in the ignore cycle, which would be to fill every moment. Don't stop. Because when you stop, you know, when you finally lay your head down at the end of the day, You're flooded with all of those feelings and those thoughts and emotions. So it's better to go, go, go. Don't stop. Another one that I have found in the ignoring cycle is when your emotions tend to be very volatile, right? Everything is fine. Everything's fine. And then boom, it's not fine anymore, right? And you just kind of explode in the cycle. And for most people, when they have that kind of explosion of emotion, even though it usually doesn't feel great in the moment, we feel much better afterwards because we've had all of this ignored emotion and thoughts that we've just been storing up. And then eventually when we let it all go, we feel better. The blaming on our circumstances, that's another big sign that you're in the ignoring cycle, that you're having really a hard time seeing your own contribution, uh, your own faults in the situation or how you have created a situation. And then the last one that shows that you're in this ignoring cycle is when you're just constantly waiting for something to change in order for it to get better. So you're waiting for a particular season to be done at work that might be particularly busy in order for you to feel good about yourself and your work again. Or you're waiting until your kid just gets a little bit bigger. And for me, it'd be like for my four-year-old being able to get his clothes on by himself so that I could have a, you know, a better morning, right? You're just waiting on somebody else or something to change that's not in your control in order for you to feel good about yourself or for things to change, right? So that's all a sign of you being in this ignoring cycle. 
But both the judgment and the ignore cycles, they tend to actually exacerbate the problem rather than fix it. It kind of makes all of those icky feelings of inadequacy and frustration and failure just kind of linger on and on and on. I know for me, I would kind of get to this point where I'd be like, why can't I just get over this? Right? An incident would happen with my son in the morning and it would still seem to have this lingering effect in the evening and the way I was interacting with him or the way I was interacting with my family. Or maybe that sometimes there'd be like a call with a client that was particularly challenging. It would still be on my mind while I'm falling asleep and I'm having a hard time falling asleep. That's because when you're in the judgment and the ignoring cycle, you're not actually dealing with any of the emotions and the thoughts. You're not acknowledging and processing your emotions. And a lot of self-compassion is just that. It's about acknowledging and processing emotions. Go back to the example of the friend who lost their job. You know, when you're sitting with your friend and you're having compassion on them, what they're doing is they're telling you, you know, what it is they're thinking and they're feeling and they're processing it out loud with you. And you're letting them do that without any kind of judgment. So you're just sitting with them in compassion, allowing them to think and feel. And so in self-compassion, it's the same thing. We're allowing ourselves to say what it is we think and feel and therefore start to really process through it. So allowing yourself to say what it is you think and feel, you know, whatever that is, that honesty, that's actually step number two of what I like to call a self-compassion practice. So I'll talk a little bit more about what step number two is, but I'm going to go back and let's talk about step number one instead or first. Okay, so step number one is really about allowing yourself to think and feel, giving yourself space to do that, right? Because so many working moms don't ever really allow themselves the space for themselves to think and feel. We're just so busy. Like the space to think and feel doesn't feel as important as a client in front of us or maybe something on your to-do list, right? And that is really why I think this step might be the hardest step to actually do because we as working moms have such a hard time putting ourselves and our feelings and our thoughts above other people. But here's what happens when we don't really give ourselves that space. You know, that tantrum that your toddler had and all of the yelling that might have taken place after that, you know, you bring those feelings with you into work. You bring them into the interactions you have with your colleagues and your clients. And when you sit down and you try to write an email or a presentation, they're still affecting you there too. And all of those icky feelings that we experience when we're feeling inadequate, we're feeling like a failure, or when circumstances are hard, you know, all of those feelings that come with that, they linger with us until we do something about them. And I'm about to tell you what you need to do with them in just a moment. I'm going to tell you about that in step three. But what most people think is that, you know, when you're giving yourself space to do this, it's going to take a long time. But oftentimes it's really just a couple of minutes. You know, I had a really particularly harsh moment with my four-year-old this morning when I, when I kind of reacted to him, when I was trying to get him dressed. And I dropped after you know, finally getting out of the house, I dropped the kids off and I came home and I sat down and I tried, I tried to write this podcast, but I really couldn't because that incident with my son was like really still on my mind. And I hadn't really done anything with that, 
emotion and thoughts and that experience. I, I could feel it still with me. I had to process through those emotions and let myself really have a moment with them before I jumped into writing this podcast. So instead of writing, what I did instead is I sat down with my journal and the last bit of my tea that I had left. And I just simply free wrote out my thoughts and my feelings that I was having about my morning and kind of everything that was on my mind. You know, in this case, I gave myself 20 minutes, but that was because I really made time for that. I really knew if I didn't get all of that out, it was going to affect the way that I wrote this podcast and it's my ability to communicate to you and so forth. And so I really gave myself that time. But sometimes all I do is give myself three, two, three to five minutes. That could be good enough to really allow space for emotion. So that's really step number one is just giving yourself space, taking a moment, going for a quick little walk, taking a break in the bathroom if you need to, sitting down and having lunch by yourself to think and feel, whatever you need to do, giving yourself permission and space to process whatever it is you're thinking and feeling. So that leads into step number two. What are you going to do in that time, right? Well, the goal here in this step is to really just get out of your body and your head, whatever is in there, right? To literally just purge. You know, for me, I like to do that in writing. But if I don't have a journal, like like even this morning, I started with my drive home after dropping them off, which is literally just two minutes from my house. But I didn't, obviously, I'm not going to write and drive at the same time. So I just started talking out loud. I started saying the things that were in my brain. I started just allowing myself to say, I'm feeling really frustrated. I'm feeling really angry and just talk out loud. And then of course, tears started to flow because usually when we're honest with ourselves, we're honest with what we're thinking and feeling. That's a lot of times when tears happen. And so I just allowed myself that space to cry and kind of get it out. There's really no right or wrong way for how to do this. It's just about getting those thoughts and feelings out of you. The goal is to like feel that sense of release or relief as you honestly say what it is you feel. And then that leads into step number three, which is probably the most important of them all. So I want you to really lean in as I'm talking about this one. Step number three is about not judging anything that comes out of you and just simply normalizing it. So for me, what that looks like is taking a couple of very deep breaths. I always suggest deep breaths as a way of really centering yourself because breathing kind of brings your body and your brain back together into this moment. And it it really connects you into your body and what's going on with your body. So I just taking a couple of deep breaths is how I usually start. And then saying to myself, yeah. That was a really hard morning. That really sucked. (laughs) There's that deep breath again. Just saying it allowed me to (laughs) exhale so much of that. There's no judgment here. It's just saying and being in full acceptance that it's okay. Yes, it is really frustrating to get a four-year-old dressed who doesn't want to get dressed. It is very frustrating to have to be running late and to chase him around the house with his clothes and his shoes almost every single day. That is frustrating. And I know pretty much every mom out there that's listening right now is probably shaking their head because they know exactly what I'm talking about. It is challenging to get a kid dressed. It makes sense that that pushed so many buttons this morning 
because I had so many other things I was trying to do that it kind of led up to me yelling in the way that I yelled. (sighs) It makes sense. Deep breath. You know, the goal, again, it's acceptance. It's allowing. It's normalizing. Yes, that was a really frustrating situation. I could see how you got there. It's okay. I have a colleague. Her name is um, Danielle Savory, and she taught me a self-compassion practice that I use sometimes where you just put your hand over your heart. And if you could touch your heart like with skin to skin, just like you do a little tiny baby, that's what you do. And you take those couple of deep breaths while you're having your hand over your heart and you say, it's okay, baby girl, you're okay. Almost like you would be talking to a small infant that you were holding in your hand. You know, you would never yell at a tiny baby for crying and for feeling upset and frustrated and angry. You would just simply hold them in your arms. You'd snuggle them. You'd give them lots of love. You'd whisper in their ear, it's going to be okay. Shh, it's going to be okay. And that's really what we're trying to do here. You're giving yourself love and grace. You're helping your brain and your body to know that whatever you feel, whatever you're thinking, it's okay. You are still lovable, you have value, and you have so much to offer. Now, if you don't practice self-compassion, I really encourage you just to take a moment right now at the end of this podcast and really help your brain solidify these three steps by doing them right now. It will take you less than two minutes. You know, set a timer if you want. Give yourself that container of time and then purge whatever thoughts and feelings are in your head and your body at this moment. And then take a couple of deep breaths with your hand over your heart. Just remind yourself that you're okay, that you are loved and you are lovable. (laughs) Since really working at getting out my self-judgment, out of my self-judgment cycle and really developing the self-compassion, the benefits of that have been exponential. (laughs) I'm way less affected by negative interactions that I have with people or my kids or just with myself. (laughs) I'm simply more patient. I don't let interactions with my clients or my colleagues or my kids have these lingering effects. I spend way less time comparing myself to other coaches and what they're doing. I'm much more focused in my decisions because I'm not really thinking about anybody else. I genuinely feel this lightness and being more present because I'm not so bogged down with emotion and in judgment. And when I have big ideas like starting a podcast or developing a program, I go for them without question. Self-compassion has allowed me to live so much more fully into the ambitious and balanced life that I have always dreamed of. Now, let me tell you, of course, it's not perfect. I do not always jump to self-compassion first. Sometimes I find myself in one of the judgment cycles or the ignoring cycles for a while. But as soon as I do, I can just get myself out of it. And sometimes just within a couple of minutes by allowing myself space to feel my emotions, getting them out of my head and my body, breathing through them and letting myself know that I'm okay and that I am loved and I still have value. All right, working moms, that is all that I have for you today. The lesson from my 38th year of life. I want you to go out, develop those self-compassion practices for yourself and live that ambitious and balanced life. Talk to you next week. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode today. If you're looking to create a life where your career and your home life never feel at odds, where you're working less but achieving at the same level, a life without regret where you know you are doing exactly what you want to be doing, then join the Ambitious and Balanced Working Moms Collective. This is a group of ambitious working moms who believe that work-life balance is possible for them and are committed to creating it. The program includes 30 short videos and workbooks that teach you how to create the building blocks of a balanced life, as well as weekly group coaching and in-depth support within a private working moms community. Oh, and did I mention that when you join the community, you get lifetime access? That means you have access to coaching and material to help support your balanced life in every season. You can find out more information and sign up for the collective on my website at www.rebeccaolsoncoaching.com forward slash collective.